0: The Pre-PACES podcast is brought to you by two brilliant sponsors. PACES AHEAD is a fantastic four-day face-to-face PACES course run in Brentford, London. They bring you a whole host of patients with fascinating stories and reliable signs, and these patients are absolutely delighted to allow you to hone your exam skills prior to exam day. Some of the patients actually are used in the exams themselves. And the next courses are running from the 20th to the 23rd of May. And then I will be helping out on the course running on the 28th to the 31st of May. Please do come and say hello. I'd love to have a chat and hopefully help you on your way to passing your paces. But if you can't make the course for whatever reason, Our other sponsor, Past Test, has got you covered with their market-leading online revision resource. There are tons of videos which help you revise from the comfort of your own home, and most listeners that I've spoken to have said this is equally essential for your Paces success. But that's enough from me for now. Let's get into this week's episode of the Pre-Paces Podcast. Welcome along to this episode of the Pre-PACES podcast with me, Dr. Sam Williams. And this week, we're discussing a topic which should hopefully be easy marks in the MRCP PACES exam, but it's also a potential banana skin and very easy to get wrong, both in PACES and in our everyday medical practice. Breaking bad news is something which happens in every medical specialty, and getting it right is crucial to ensuring that patients and their families hold the medical profession in a positive light during the most difficult times of their lives we've had some great suggestions sent in of topics for future episodes and we've got some really exciting guests coming up in the near future so if you want a specific topic covered then let us know on twitter and instagram at PrePaces podcast don't forget to like follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts but for now on with the show Welcome to the Pre-PACES podcast. My name is Dr. Sam Williams and today we're gonna be focusing on introducing you to station four, the communication and ethics station with a particular focus on a topic which every doctor needs to know about, breaking bad news. And I'm not talking about the announcement of series six of a popular drug-centered Netflix show. I'm being joined by Dr. Tessa Nicholas. Tessa is a post-CMT doctor Currently, an education fellow in oncology at the Bristol Haematology and Oncology Centre. Before that, she gained some experience practising in palliative care. And Tessa, would it be fair to say you've broken a fair bit of bad news in your clinical practice?
1: Yes, you're absolutely right, Sam. I've done a fair bit in my time, but I'm sure you'll agree it's an essential part of any doctor's practice. And hopefully, what we can give the listeners today is a bit of a structure for doing that well. Even though we're giving advice for an exam, it's still hugely important to get right in our day-to-day practice.
0: Exactly. Every specialty has got to break bad news in some capacity, whether that's something like lifestyle changes, stopping driving, or even disclosing a diagnosis of cancer. But before we go on to the breaking bad news, we thought it would be a good idea to just recap the usual structure of a station four and go through some of the common themes that we find in that station. Sounds great. In Paces in particular, this is something which comes up time and time again. And we've been looking through all of the previous scenarios or some of the prepared scenarios which are provided to us on their website. What we're just going to talk about now is the, the general sort of structure of Uh, The station because in the PACES exam, this is something which is usually examined in station four, the communication skills station. The structure of that station, as we've mentioned on the previous episodes of this podcast, is it's 14 minutes of talking with a patient or an actor or possibly a relative of a patient as well. And then after that, you get six minutes of questions. But before the whole station starts, you get five minutes of preparatory time to read about the brief of the patient. It's so important to know the background and the context of the case before you then go into the station. Something else we definitely should talk about, Tessa, is the because of the COVID pandemic, there are so many changes which are happening within PACES. And some of the changes specifically relate to um, both station two and station four. So do you wanna just um, outline what those are for us?
1: Absolutely. So um, it's a really unusual time to say the least. And part of how that's affecting the exam is that um, the communication stations in the history station, both station two and four are going to have a virtual component. So both the patient actor and the examiner are going to be remote and to be video conferencing in and that's quite a big change really from um how Paces runs normally as you can imagine a big part of this kind of station is demonstrating empathy and and it's important to reflect on how those changes might affect um how you kind of put across that um emotional aspect of um responding to the patient's verbal and non-verbal cues and picking up on those things
0: yeah definitely I imagine it's really difficult when you are you're video conferencing with someone you can't you know you can't hold their hand you can't as you say like verbal non-verbal cues you can pick up on and reassure them in that way so yeah I think that's going to be a really difficult thing which the candidates are going to have to try and adapt to and try and I guess verbally reassure as well as you can
1: absolutely and I think as best as possible as as I'm sure from your experience, Sam, too, things like eye contact, things like leaning in, trying to replicate that, because that's something that can be, that can be seen. And, and it's an artificial situation as it is without like the addition of video conferencing. But trying to make it feel as real as possible is important. You have to play the part a little bit and, and make it feel as if this is something that you're doing in real life even though it's quite the opposite.
0: Yeah, yeah, spot on. Great. So I think the next thing we were going to talk about was some of the themes which commonly come up in uh, the communication skills, as well as sort of breaking bad news, which fits into those categories. I thought we'd just talk through them sort of one at a time on, on the list uh, that we've got in front of us. So we've looked through all of the um, the sample scenarios which have been given to us. So if we start with sort of the first, um, the first one there, Tessa, mm. uh, do you want to sort of just talk us through what... What we found is like the emerging themes in this station.
1: So, one of the uh, core stations that comes up really often is explaining a new condition or um, a new diagnosis, um, and that could be a, that's often a chronic condition, it could be a cancer diagnosis, could be an incurable cancer diagnosis that you know from the outset, um, and and in that that very neatly follows a a breaking bad news a typical breaking bad news structure and which we'll go through in further detail after the break uh really there the core components are reading the blurb as best as possible those five minutes go like five seconds so try and assimilate that information as best you can and it's about going in there and gauging the patient's perception of the condition or the information they're about to receive making sure that they are empowered to to ask for the information that they want to receive and and delivering in a really clear jargon-free and concise way Mm, the bad news and going forward with a plan
0: one of the other themes which sort of comes out as we've talked we've already talked about sort of new diagnoses, new conditions, breaking bad news. Some of the other ones that have um, come up in the past is things like people who already have a condition who maybe aren't living their lives in tune with that condition as well mm-hmm. as they could do. And it's about explaining the lifestyle changes they could make to try and maybe give them a better quality of life, but also maybe affect their prognosis of the condition they have. Almost like motivational interviewing sort of sort of station.
1: For sure. And one of those in particular, I'd say that seems to come up quite often, is a diabetic patient with perglycemic control in whom you're trying to counsel why that might be the case, exploring that, exploring their perception and their understanding of their condition. Often these patients, particularly for type 1 diabetes, may have di- been diagnosed at a very young stage. And for diabetics in general, there may be kind of other social factors um, involved, that it's important to dig deep and explore and gather as much information from the patient during the consultation to be able to ad- address things um properly.
0: So the next one we we were going to go into is one about clinical errors Tessa, which I guess is more of like a difficult conversation rather than breaking bad news, isn't it? What sort of things do you think can normally come up in those sorts of stations?
1: So the, the things I've seen come up have been things like giving a patient uh, a penicillin-based antibiotic to somebody with a penicillin allergy or something like that.
0: I think some of the other ones that can come up is like someone's been given like the wrong drug. Oh, yeah. So so one of the others is like, uh, I think I've seen in, in the past something like a drug which has been given which is contraindicated mm-hmm. to a pre-existing condition. Mm-hmm. So... For example, some, someone who's been given a dose of NSAID when they've had a recent GI bleed or something like that. And I guess that station is more based around whether or not there's been any harm as a result of that and how significant an action that's been for that patient. But the important thing there is that it's probably dependent on the scenario, but we're not gonna dig too deep into that on uh, in this podcast particularly. Um,
1: Uh, and one an important point of that is yeah in the in the um immediate situation you're dealing with the patient safety so are they stable what can i do to to make them kind of to 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 manage this what this um station will really be testing is how you communicate that to the patient or their relative what and, and and important parts of that station will be things like what do they know already? How are they feeling? Um, and, and a really um, sensitive and compassionate and empathetic explanation of what has happened. Don't be afraid to say sorry because this is uh, a situation in which that word is really important. It's not uh, you know accepting it. It's not you know it, it's a it's a human to human thing.
0: And then the next thing we've got down, which I guess is um, is always a component of these sorts of communication stations, is there's always, or not always, but often there's an element of ethics mm. somewhere. So it's important to have an understanding of the four ethical pillars of medicine, which is obviously autonomy, beneficence, non-maleficence, and justice. So really important. We'll probably do another episode on that mm. um, later in the series. But it's always important to consider those sorts of things, especially if it's a question of a patient's autonomy. For example, it might be a difficult conversation with someone who doesn't wish uh, for you to disclose information to, let's say, a relative. So just always be aware of the ethical considerations in in these communication stations because they do come up. And then the last one is particularly to do with sort of another element of difficult conversations, which is Hmm. like complaints, or for example, like an unhappy patient. So what sort of things might that sort of scenario involve, Tessa?
1: So that might involve, um, a colleague asks you to discuss uh, with a patient on the ward who's wishing to self-discharge because um, they're unhappy with the care on the ward, or, um, or because they simply, you know, are fed up of being in hospital. Here, again, it's really important just to remain calm to start off with, to gather as much information as possible before you go in, and that, in this context, involves reading the blurb really well. But going in there with with a calm approach and exploring, listening, and trying not to talk for the first little while, trying to gather as much information from the patient about why they um, want to self discharge and convey again? It's about clearly conveying information about the reason why you feel it's safer that they stay in and why it would be um, not favourable to self discharge. It it this is about both listening and communicating and both are really equally important in those kind of scenarios. It's about reaching some kind of agreement together.
0: And I guess the other thing to do with, for example, a, a station like that, that brings in the ethical considerations we spoke about and brings in autonomy of the patient. So one sort of pitfall you can fall into is that if someone wants to self discharge and they've got capacity, you know, there's no reason for them not to be able to make that decision. Mm-hmm. The important thing is to listen to the patient, as you say, and, you know, the pitfall would be obviously keeping them against their will, which obviously isn't uh, illegal and we're not allowed to do. And then I guess the last little thing, although it's not a particular theme, but just something that's quite important in this station in particular is that they're not looking for medical knowledge that can be tested throughout all of the other stations. So mm-hmm. the important thing to remember, this this shouldn't really be a test of medical knowledge. Sometimes they do incorporate some medical knowledge, but it's often not a deep dive into, you know, the pathology of celiac disease or epilepsy. Usually it's quite superficial knowledge, you know, medical school finals sort of standard, and you should really be able to convey any medical expertise you have from that basis of knowledge. They're not looking for a deep dive into the registrar level, uh, general medical knowledge. Does that sound fair?
1: For sure. Uh, for things like, for example, uh, a common one to come up is explaining a diagnosis of uh, multiple sclerosis. We're not looking at a consultant neurologist um, explanation, but in fact, a consultant neurologist expe- explanation to a patient versus um, a foundation doctor versus somebody at whatever level, really, it, it, it may not need to differ that much what what you want to do is explain clearly and concisely what's going on in a way the patient can understand keeping it as free from jargon as possible is really important and you're quite right sam it's it's not about the medical detail here it's about relaying accurate information clearly and concisely empathetically and listening to the patient
0: and the last little thing we're going to touch on before we go to the break is All of the themes which we've uh, picked out from the sample scenarios that the MRCP give us is that the trickier stations tend to be the ones where there's a combination of these themes. And it does happen that you can sometimes have two, sometimes even three of these themes all come together in one scenario. And I guess from those scenarios which are a bit trickier and have that combination of themes you should really try and get the patient or whoever you're talking to in the scenario to lead you down the right path of discussion, because they know from their brief where they want the conversation to go, and that'll lead you hopefully down the right path.
1: For sure, it's about reacting and responding to what the patient needs in terms of their um in terms of their expectations and wishes and information needs at that time. Uh, and that that, as you said, will guide you through those kinds of scenarios, which uh, are really daunting to begin with, in life and in um, yeah. and in places. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. Great. So so far, we've just covered uh, sort of the basic structure of the uh, of the station four. And we've just talked about some of the emerging themes uh, that usually comes up in the station. So we're going to go on a quick break. And then after that, we're going to take you in detail through how you should try and approach a station where you're expected to break some bad news. And we are back. On the Pre-PACES podcast, so far we've given you an introduction to Station 4, the communication skills and ethics station in PACES, and now Tessa we're going to talk to them about approaching a station where they might be required to break some bad news.
1: Absolutely, and when we're approaching this station, so as with all the stations you have five minutes preparation time, use them well this is really important because the briefs are often quite long and it can be useful to jot down some pertinent points but don't copy the whole thing (laughs) (laughs) and and it should say problem at the top of the brief and and actually if all else fails if you read the problem and remember that then you kind of know where you're going so if it says dealing with a terminal illness you know what you're walking into and what the focus of the conversation is going to be
0: yeah absolutely so I'm pretty sure on the sample scenarios that you get given on the MRCP website, it does say problem at the top, so if you forget everything else in the station, whatever it is, look at what the problem is. So you've had your five minutes preparation time, you've got paper outside, so you should have written down some personal points, then the bell's going to ring and you're going to go into the room. What's the most important thing about the start of the station?
1: (laughs) Take a deep breath and relax know that you can do this and um, when you enter the room first impressions are really important when you're doing something like breaking bad news you want to come across calm and professional
0: it's like meeting the in-laws yeah. except more important
1: <laughs> absolutely um, as A very well-known medical oncologist who um, was part of the team that devised um, the structure for Breaking Bad News that we're going to discuss um, shortly said quite rightly, when you do it badly, they'll never forgive you. And when you do it well, they'll never forget you.
0: So as you said, first impression is really important and all we'd say about that is just make sure you've got your introduction completely sorted so that that bit, you're almost on autopilot. There's a few things which at least I've used in the past when I've approached stations like this, which is often because they're sensitive conversations is even though it's a bit of sort of dramatic license saying, is it okay to sit here or do you want to go somewhere more private or saying, Just to let you know, I've left my bleep with a colleague because, you know, all those sorts of things are important in real medical practice as well as during the exams. And then once you sit down and actually start the conversation, what would you recommend, Tessa, in terms of sort of how to start off the conversation with either the patient or relative you're speaking to?
1: Um, Yeah, so I I think that having a structure for these kinds of conversations um, can be really helpful, particularly in such a pressured exam setting and um, often I find in my own day-to-day practice that where I feel that these conversations have gone best and um, that I've followed kind of a structure inherently um, and it covers kind of all the aspects that we're going to discuss. So so one of the, the models, that's, um, and there's quite a few, but one of the common models that is um used in breaking bad news and um, particularly devised by ba- bale and buckman who i mentioned earlier regarding disclosing un- unfavorable information to a patient with cancer um about their diagnosis is called the spikes model it's quite quite um quite unfortunately named the spikes Oof. model and yeah. um, but it can be really useful um and it can be useful just to hang things off yeah, to help guide your conversation and to um, make it flow without making things too prescriptive.
0: Yeah, I guess make a framework which is easy to follow, but also you can sort of add on extra things.
1: For sure. Um, so part of that is setting things up. As you mentioned, Sam, um, you're thinking of um, making sure that it's a private space, no interruptions, handing your bleep over, considering who should be there, and... and in doing that you know you could ask the patient do you have anybody with you to be honest often that for patients in in day-to-day life that can serve as a warning shot in itself very rarely a good thing that um you're Mm. asking for another person to be there because you're going to deliver some weighty news yeah
0: yeah but it's still important and I think the thing in the exam is that it signposts to the examiners that you've got an idea about how this works in real life Mm -hmm. and It's that sort of, uh, it's those sort of tips which are transferable between real life and the exam, even though in the exam, it's, you know, no one's going to come in halfway through the conversation. It's important to just consider that as something that you would do in real life.
1: For sure. next part of the spikes model is perception and that's vital to setting to also to setting up this conversation with it with your patient or their relative. You're checking their understanding, you're checking what they know so far about either the investigations they've had and um, depending on whether you're you know delivering um bad news regarding a test uh, or a diagnosis or what they know about their condition so far. And Important with this is is you're really here listening to what the patient's perception is of their um situation. You're going to get a lot of information beforehand, as we said, of, as we've already said from the vignette. Here, you're hearing the patient's own words, what they understand of where things are, mm. and and it's it's in that that you can correct any misunderstandings. And that you can determine gaps within their information and their expectations. And here we're we're thinking about ICE. I'm bringing in another acronym, <laughs> of course. You know, we're all we love our acronyms. And um, so, so ideas, concerns, and expectations. And in here, you you're really getting getting to grips with that.
0: And I guess the other thing, which is really important about this as well, is the patient's going to be telling you a lot of stuff you already know. But this is where it's highlighted what you may have written down outside the station and just checking that your record of what's happened is in agreement with what the patient has. Because that way, like you say, if there's something they've missed or they haven't understood the significance of, that's your opportunity to try and sensitively explain to them the relevance of whatever it is that they maybe don't understand.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I moving on to invitation, so this is all about exploring how much information the patient would want to know. So in the setting of um, say a patient who's coming to an outpatient clinic for the results of a recent CT scan which has shown um, metastatic lung cancer for example, then you'd want to gauge do they want to know the results of their scan. Now in the actual exam they're going to want to know the results of their scan because otherwise it'll make for a really short station. But, but you need to check that um, because in other settings in real life there, there may be situations where the patient's not ready to have all the information at once and certainly even in this situation it's important to give information in chunks and check for their understanding and be guided by them as we've spoken about earlier so here you're inviting the patient and empowering them to to ask what what do I want to know
0: just in terms of your own practice Tessa mm-hmm. have you ever had a patient who actually doesn't want to know and for example might say something like is it bad news or am I a goner that sort of thing
1: this could very easily be a question that comes up um, the the patient actors could be primed to um, ask such a question, and like I said, it can come to you as a bit of a shock. But again, important to maintain a calm approach when you're dealing with um, those kind of queries as well, and and treat it like you would any any other query. Really, what you want to do here is explore why they're asking that question. So a useful phrase for a difficult question like that can be, tell me more about that or what makes you ask that? What you're doing is trying to explore explore the reasoning behind that question, explore what's going through the patient's head and explore what they actually want to know and what they mean, um, because mm. that's a very broad question do they want to know about prognosis is that something that they're ready to discuss is that something that you have a bearing of it's okay not to know the answer if you're in a situation where um a patient has been diagnosed with um an incurable disease and they're at the stage that you know the MDT discussions the next steps in management haven't been decided on prognosis is really uncertain it's okay to say I don't know and patients appreciate that in life and in, in places honesty is paramount
0: yeah absolutely so the I think the main thing really with or the crux of that sort of question as well is truth telling with sensitivity because you can't hide from the answer the answer is there it's on the paper or the answer is like you say I don't know and you can always signpost to other people, as we'll come on to. But you need to be aware that you're not the font of all knowledge, even as a, a budding registrar. You're not going to have all the answers. Sometimes it's going to take consultants. There might be MDT meetings which are going to happen. You're not going to have all the answers. And it is important to acknowledge that. And actually, that is a part of the marking brief on criteria that you are aware of your limitations even as a registrar, definitely an important point when talking about these um, difficult situations, difficult conversations, and answering difficult questions like that. So no. yeah, what's the next step in uh, in the SPIKES acronym, Tessa?
1: So in in the SPIKES acronym, we're moving then on to knowledge. So here we're doing a core part of this um, of this conversation, which is relaying the information. We're Sharing the information and doing so in chunks. You don't want to be talking for a long, long time and giving a weight of information. What you want to do is, particularly when you're breaking bad news, for example, regarding a diagnosis or a scan result, you want to say as clearly and concisely as possible what the, the results are. You want to be completely clear in what you're saying to the patient. Keep the language simple avoid jargon and check their understanding um, in, uh, w- when we're uncomfortable, um, when we want to sugarcoat um, bad news, we use jargon and we use euphemisms. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, in terms of like, euphemisms, it's so easy to just hide behind that and say something which doesn't actually give the patient any more information. And actually, in a situation like that, saying the word cancer is so important because otherwise patient might not have a clue they might say oh it's a mass that's Mm -hmm. great it's Mm -hmm. not a cancer Mm -hmm. you know patients should be explained things in terms they can understand
1: that's it and and it's vital here it's really vital that the patient understands their diagnosis because this is about making sure that they're informed and that they're able to um make an informed decision on their next steps in treatment this is a vital point in their journey and and you're at the the forefront of it the way you relate, the words you use are absolutely crucial
0: and the other thing going forward taking this into sort of a clinical care perspective rather than exam based is that the way that you break that news is going to probably have an impact on them and any relatives that are there in terms of their perception of the medical profession as well. If someone breaks bad news badly to someone, as you said earlier, they won't forgive you for, for doing that. And no, that's obviously not something you want. You want them to um, appreciate the way that you've, that you've conveyed that information. Great. Right. So we've covered knowledge. Mm-hmm. What's the next step?
1: So here is an important one, a very important one. They're all important. It's easy to kind of brush it aside, deem it wishy-washy, or you know, feel that it, it isn't important. In the exam, you're going to have to act. You're acting as if you're in that situation. You're trying to make it as real as possible, and and so. In that real situation, there's a lot of emotion. You might be relaying some to somebody a life-changing diagnosis. Their life um, literally does at 360 in the space of a few seconds. And here, it's important to acknowledge that emotion. Silence in this kind of a situation isn't really silence for the patient. If you've um, told them something like a life-changing diagnosis, then actually what's happening is their heads buzzing with ten million different things and ten million different questions and and worries and concerns. Um so part of um acknowledging the emotion might include using the the valuable use of silence. Yeah.
0: What I always used to do, or I think as a palliative care consultant when I was at medical school said, give the news and then don't talk until they do. So basically like you say, they're going to have things buzzing round in their head after you break, you know, break the news. They need to say the next words because only that is what they're going to be comfortable with saying or hearing, really.
1: And mm-hmm. um, and another very important point I would say, and again, it it might be for those of us who are less natural at or feel less um, comfortable and natural in these kind of acting, uh, these. Contrived or uh, actor um, orientated situations is you know it might be that the the actor kind of starts crying or that they you know th- that they're visibly distressed at that or at other certain points and actually acknowledging that distress you know saying I avoid try and avoid saying I know what you're going through or mm. or something that uh, because that that can go badly but uh, um, <laughs> but. Uh, acknowledging the emotion of the situation saying I I can't imagine what you're going through can actually help almost give the patient or their relative permission to feel to feel what they're feeling to be human and not to lock it up
0: I think this is a bit which is going to be really difficult with the video conferencing isn't it because it's almost like you're going to be doing it through webcams and trying to get in touch with their emotions or empathize effectively through webcams is going to be very difficult so Mm. I think the really important bit here is to use those phrases like you say I can't imagine what you're going through it must be very difficult hearing that news something like that just to make sure that you're displaying that empathy for the patient obviously but also for the examiner just to make sure that it's really evident that you are showing some empathy given the difficulty it's going to be with with the webcam and video conferencing and everything else so we've covered E for emotions last but not least what's last in the spikes acronym.
1: Well, it's uh, rather aptly it's summarizing. Oh, great. Um and 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 here what you're doing is in and in any situation you can do this you, you summarize um what what the patient has been kind of told during this consultation and also the next steps going forward. So you, you're talking about their future needs you're um reviewing what the treatment plan might be or or simply you know how that treatment plan is going to be decided on and here you're also um, um discussing modes of support and promoting a sense of support and um, depending on the situation that might include things like support groups it might include leaflets and you can even say i will give you some leaflets mm. i will um um put you in contact with a specialist nurse I will book a follow-up appointment would that be helpful and um, would you like me to discuss this with your family at our next appointment and and you can schedule an appointment you know this is your um station you can um you can say uh, i I'll, I'll book in an appointment for two weeks to make it seem like a more real situation and also to to kind of quite aptly and professionally you know close the conversation but but here what you're doing is, is in a very um, emotional and um, a, in a situation where a patient has, has received um, a lot of information in a relatively short amount of time. Here what you're doing is trying to summarise as best you can um, the conversation, the key elements and, and the next steps going forward.
0: Perfect. So I think that's pretty much all we've got to say about breaking bad news. So just just to summarize, as you say, aptly the last one is to do with summarizing. So the things that we've talked about were use the five minute preparation time when you're outside the room, take some pertinent points, don't write the whole thing out obviously, and look at what the problem is before actually going into the room. First impression is really important. So make sure you get your introductions down, make sure you get all the preamble to the actual consultation. And then Tessa, you just want to run through each of the elements of spikes quickly?
1: Absolutely. So set up, you're using a private space, no interruptions and considering who should be there. Perception, you're checking the patient's understanding. What do they know? What's already been told? What do they understand of what's already been told? Um, and correcting any misunderstandings there. Invitation, here you're exploring how much information the patient wants to know. Uh and knowledge, you're forecasting what's to come, you're sharing information in chunks, you're checking the patient's understanding as you go, and um, and you're making sure you keep the language simple and jargon-free. Emotions, you're doing this throughout, but really responding to um, and acknowledging and giving permission for emotions in this very emotional situation. And summarizing, so cu- coming up with a plan, um, under mutual agreement with the patient for the next steps going forward. Essentially the most important elements of Breaking Bad News are gathering the information from the patient, transmitting that medical information, providing the support to the patient and making sure you elicit the patient's collaboration in developing a strategy or a treatment plan for the future.
0: Great, so hopefully listeners that covers pretty much every aspect of any breaking bad news scenario you might be asked to approach in a station four and tessa we're going to include in the show notes the reference for bail and buckman who you said originally devised the spikes model that we've just gone through mm-hmm. so it only leaves us to break some more bad news it's time to say goodbye so we say a huge thank you to dr tessa nicholas
1: oh absolutely no problem sam it's been a pleasure thanks for having me
0: And Tessa, as you know, we're always trying to improve here at the Pre-Paces Podcast. And we would love to hear from our listeners about how they think we can improve the podcast, topics they want us to cover, or anything Paces related. So Tessa, how can they get in touch?
1: On Twitter and Instagram, it's at Pre-Paces Podcast. On email, it's prepacespodcast at gmail.com.
0: Guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time on the Pre-Paces Podcasts.